Thanks so much for listening to Five Leadership Questions today. You know, coming up, we have the Pipeline West Coast event. Now, some people say it's the best coast. I'm not really sure. But I would say in February is probably the best coast that you can go to. Um, So go ahead and check that out at myleadershippipeline.com. It will be on February 22nd. We'll have Carrie Newoff and Eric Geiger, Tom Rayner, Albert Tate, uh, myself and co-host Daniel M. Uh, All of us will be out there and we look forward to seeing you there with your team. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Eric Geiger. Hey, man. You, you, got, you, you got another? <laughs> I'm sorry. Dude, start again. Start again. You should know. I, did, I didn't know. You gave me a, a, just a stink eye. I didn't if know you, what, it, what it if meant. If you introduce me, you know what I'm Okay, okay. Do. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we are here with... Uh, with a very special guest. I w- in fact, I didn't want to interrupt because I'm I'm ready to get to Christine. This this is what I'm really excited about. And this is uh, this is Christine Kane. Not only do we have Christine Kane, we have a new set of five questions because she's been on before, right? And she she answered them correctly. She's the first person to get the second set of five questions. Yes. And and so if you're listening, you've already listened to the first set. That you're, you're not. This is not a repeat. No. This is a second set. Second of Five leadership questions. She just leveled up. And, and just destroyed the first set. <laughs> so this is this is graduating to the second set. All right. So uh, and and nobody believes she's here because she hasn't said anything. Yeah. Are you there? Hello. <laughs> yeah. This is probably the greatest miracle since the resurrection of Jesus. I think. I've been quiet anything. one minute. <laughs> That's right. I wanted to say you obviously didn't have a very high bar on the first set of questions, but that's okay. <laughs> well, uh, that is, of course, uh, Christine. And the last time you were on, I remember um, it was it was really interesting because you and Lecrae both came out with a book <laughs> called Unashamed at the same yeah. time. And I was so happy because when anyone Googled Lecrae's book, which of course that's the only one they would have known was out, <laughs> mine came up as well. So I just, t- I was so grateful to Lecrae. I was so happy of you. <laughs> that was awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you probably, uh, you probably have been to a, a conference or seen a live stream of a conference where Christine has, has been speaking you may not realize uh, two ministries that her and her husband, Nick Kane, are a part of. One is Propel, and that is a, a women's leadership organization uh, that does some great stuff. Allie Worthington, who's also been on the podcast, uh, uh, helps lead that as well. The one that I am really um, most passionate about connected to would be A21, which is uh, just go through Really quickly, Christine, I don't know how often you get to talk about A21 in particular, but just break down A21 and what it does. Sure. Well, you know, I think simply um, our statement is that we aim to abolish slavery everywhere forever. And so we um, are an organization. We have 15 offices in 14 countries and really help everything from um, prevention and awareness right through to investigation and prosecution. So we're involved in the entire process of helping to abolish slavery. So in lots of countries um, in Asia, in Europe, 
Europe. We've uh, in three. We've got three offices here in America. We're in South America, and we work obviously with government, with law enforcement, with the media, um, to really, really help uh, abolish slavery. It is human trafficking is still the fastest growing crime worldwide, faster than the trafficking of drugs or armaments. Is the trafficking of people, which is just incomprehensible that that still exists in our lifetime. And um, we've been going for a decade, and it has been just stunning. You know what was a seed in my heart 10 years ago has grown to a global organization with 15 offices and you know multiply like just in in on October the 14th this year we'll be doing a global walk for freedom which is in 55 countries all 50 states of the US and over 500 walks for freedom around the world that'll be covered all by media um, I think you know it's just kind of grown to really really raise a voice to say that uh, this injustice just has to end that's incredible. I'm so grateful you stepping into the brokenness of that and, and stepping in with the grace of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. It is awesome. It's a privilege. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to look at that to see if, if a walk for freedom was in your city, you just go to a21.org and yeah, you find – There'll be one somewhere, especially uh, there'll be one somewhere near you. And um, if not, and it's before October the 14th that you're listening to this, contact our office and you can host one. Good deal. All right. I'll make sure it drops before then then. All right. Let's get into our five questions. So I'm I'm super stoked because it, this is a blank slate. So <laughs> no, no one, there's no judging whatsoever here because no one has ever answered these questions. And there's no right or wrong question, right? It's one of those everything's it's just about. What you're learning, and we're going to learn from you. Exactly. All right. So, what is a conflict or failure that has benefited you in your leadership? I didn't say it was an easy question. <laughs> no, it's not easy. And I, when I first got it, I had to laugh because I thought, really, literally, which one is the is the answer to that? Um, I've had the privilege of being involved in leadership on a local church basis, and then obviously through A21 and Propel and Equip and Empower for 31 years. So I have so many, so many deeply painful lessons that have all uh, served to help me become hopefully more like Christ. One that I was thinking about in particular was uh, I was – uh, the director of Youth Alive, which it was a youth evangelistic uh, movement in Australia. It still exists. And I remember it was my first real promotion um, into leadership where I had a staff that was working for me and we were doing so many different youth events and evangelistic rallies. And so obviously it was high intensity. And in those days, not that I've changed much, but everything was about, we're going to change the world. I don't think anyone knew what that meant, but we were going to be those people that were going to change the world. And so I was highly driven, highly enthusiastic. And I remember once I, um, I came in and a couple of my team members had booked appointments to talk to me. And I could, I remember just the, I, th I think there's no other way to say this, but there was a sense of almost um, fear and they fear that they had disappointed me because they couldn't keep up with certain things. But I remember just in the, they addressed me so beautifully and they were so kind in the way that they did it uh, that just made me realize that I had 
done an epic fail for especially the six-month period leading up to this that I had been driving everyone without realizing it, but driving and demanding are probably the two words, uh, so hard that I put the um, project way ahead of the people. In the process, I ended up losing some very, very good people that I never needed to lose at all. I remember that was probably the biggest wake-up call to the way I lead, um, to understanding that people have are motivated differently to me, that sometimes I just assume people understand my motivation because of our – because we've – combined around a mission and a purpose, I just sometimes can assume everyone's on the same page. And it taught me, I really had to, I went, I remember I went to counseling and had to really undergo a process of learning to become, um, a leader that was just far more gentle, far more compassionate, still have strong convictions about where we're going, the direction we're going, how we're going to get there, but be a whole lot more considerate and compassionate and gentle with how we were going to get there. I don't think there would be a 21 in 15 countries around the world now, or sorry, in 14 countries, or that we would have propel as big as it is or equip and empower for that matter if I did not learn back then um, the lesson that it's got to be people over projects. That doesn't mean it's at the cost or at the expense of a project, but people are the way you complete the project. So you cannot mistreat people on the way to getting the job done. That, that's, that's huge. And I'm going to ask a follow-up for that just because I know I, I've seen that in my own heart so many times. I get so passionate about the mission that I can, I can run over people at times or have in the past in order to accomplish the mission and then people are the mission. And so, especially in our space and what we do with the mission and people being so wrapped up, it's a, it's a challenge. How, how have you held yourself accountable to that going forward after you've had this big learning? How, how have you continually kept yourself in check in, in that regard? Yeah, definitely. There's a couple of things. Here's one, um, one big one is after Youth Alive, Nick and I began to work together. So there's nothing quite like your spouse to tell you things that maybe somebody somebody else wouldn't. And so we did a couple of adjustments and Nick is a very different temperament to me. Um, and so that really, he really helps me to see sometimes if, if my passion is driving me at the expense of people, um, he's able to speak that in a way that, you know, just really helps me. And then I also have, um, I regularly go and see, I've got a, a fantastic counselor, um, in my life. And, you know, there's a few, uh, issues here in the sense that I, nowadays, because I lead what I lead with a 21 and propel, most of my staff is women. I also lead men, but I mostly lead women. So, um, and young women. So that's okay. We're, we're all, you know, wanting to change the world together. It's fantastic. The biggest challenge has been in some of my local church work where, um, I really had to be accountable to, um, a counselor and a mentor because, 
as in some spaces and in some church spaces, and it's not right or wrong, it's just the way it has been historically, uh, men and women at certain levels have not always worked together. And so, of course, I'm going to bring my femininity, but also my personality into that space. Men are going to bring their personality into that space and learning to work together in that way. Let me just say, and you know, it may not be overly popular, but um, you can be strong um, and kind <laughs> and, you know, so you can be yeah. strong and, and have the fruit of the spirit. So you need somebody, if you're a, a strong woman and very verbal and uh, it's not like, well, Christine, um, you know, it shouldn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. Well, number one, every one of us as a Christ follower is called to exhibit the fruits of the spirit. And so therefore, if as um, a woman, you're coming over and trying to steamroll people. And I know this is as true for men as for women, but I do think um, that there is a gentleness we can bring to the table and a kindness we can bring to the table. And sometimes I wasn't being heard because of the way I was saying what um, I wanted to say. And in the midst of sort of passion, and, and if you mix that up with just what you perceive to be a righteous anger, which more often than not is just a self-righteous self anger, um, you need to be accountable. So for me, I I, I had uh, two people uh, that were very strong in their own right that could look me in the eye. You know, I always think of uh, Jesus in the parable to the rich young ruler. It says he looked at him, he loved him, and he said to him. And I think every person needs someone that can look at you, love you, and will tell it to you as it is. And the, the challenge is when you are, as you move up the leadership ladder for want of a better phrase, um, you can become more and more isolated. You can begin to read your own press and think that you're awesome because everyone's telling you that you're awesome. Um, and the fact is you can become so removed from reality that nobody can speak into your life anymore, which is the most dangerous place to be. And so I have just made sure that there are plenty of checks and balances um, that in fact, nowadays it cannot happen because of the way our structure is set up. Um, you know, I couldn't be, uh, independent of anything. And our organization is so large that, um, there are plenty of checks and balances. And again, you can make yourself as, as accountable as you want to be. So you either, you can have all those checks and balances in place and still be arrogant and ungodly, but, um, hopefully my heart is still soft enough that I do, I think in our own leadership, journey, we've got to remember the goal is that you and I are being conformed and transformed to the image of Jesus. I mean, I want to look more like him when I see him. And so I'm not using this role uh, to exert just power and influence, hopefully through serving our organization, I can steward the influence that the Lord's given me. But ultimately the job is that I become as Christ-like as I'm requiring my team to become as well. And so when you are a driven woman, you're a strong woman, which is awesome because God has made me this way. You don't need to be apologetic, but you do need to have checks and balances to make sure you're still, you're being led by the fruit of the spirit and not driven by your unrighteousness redeemed strong qualities. Mm. That is gold. That is so good. <laughs> so good. Well, I want to, I want to connect uh, that answer because you're speaking about the humility that you have to have counselors and people speak into your life and to be, be willing to be held accountable. Who, so question two, who or what's <laughs> been the greatest leadership influence in your life? Yeah, I think without a doubt in my life personally, it's been my senior pastor, Brian Houston. Um, you know, I've been part of the Hillsong Church for 31 years. And he is who introduced me 
um, to the whole concept of leadership. It's a it's a unique thing, and I certainly recognise uh, for me and as a woman, I've been very privileged in this way that I stepped into a church culture uh, with very clear leadership and authority structures. Make no mistake, but that within that structure allowed uh, me to flourish to the fullness of the potential that God's put on the inside of me. And so, over 31 years, it's quite a unique thing to come into a church and get saved as a 21-year-old and still then at 51 with a global ministry continue to say that the person that most influenced me then is still the most influential leader in my life now, which is a credit to him. It means that he has continued to grow and to raise the ceiling so that we can all keep growing up under that leadership um, mantle. It's very rare, but he very much uh, saw potential in me when I think nobody would have seen it back then. Certainly nobody would have thought Christine, I was Christine Cariophilus back in those days, um, that Christine Cariophilus would have had this on the inside of me, but he continued to throughout my life and especially the first 20 years when I was very actively involved in a local church context before the kind of last decade where our ministry has gone more and more global. Um, he, He was the one that place me to be the director of the community-based youth centre of our youth ministry. He was the one that placed me as the director of our evangelistic youth movement of the denomination that we're a part of. He was the one that appointed Nick and I as the Hillsong Network uh, coordinators globally, which, you know, really helped me in terms of um, church ministry. And so he always uh, put me in those places and then I grew into them. I was never ready for any of those roles before he placed me in those roles. And then he gave me permission to grow into them. So I'm made a lot of mistakes, but he also backed me. And so he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He then also gave me a place for those gifts to grow and to flourish. And then he also gave me space to make numerous mistakes. And he also uh, backed me in the decision that he had made. Well, that built confidence into my life. That built skills into my life um, and a sense of authority. And so I continued to grow. And so my first decade was every Tuesday morning um, in his lounge room with all of the uh, kind of pastors and leaders of the church. And those of us that were involved in different ministries, there would, you know, be uh, dozens of us just squashed in this room, um, getting leadership tips and then being given opportunities. So it's one thing to download information, leadership information. It is another thing um, to then create pipelines, not that that's a plug, to create but I think that's why that's why I'm just such a huge fan of what you're doing because where the gap is and you know I can speak in the women's space is that even if we are uh, training women for and giving them access to more leadership information if pipelines are not created to develop that then they are going to create their own pipelines somewhere else and so I think it's so important for me and I think part of why I've been able to stay accountable submitted and submitted to the leadership of my church is because there was a pipeline within my church and my denominational stream um, to be able to develop those leadership gifts. And I say this everywhere, you know, if you've got a uh, 
a healthy home, relatively healthy, as dysfunctional as it is, you know, if it's healthy, you're not looking for a new home. And people often say to me, for 31 years, Christine, Pastor Brian and your church has been, you know, your spiritual covering and you've grown up under the leadership structure. Why don't you sort of go somewhere else? And I'm going, look, if you've got family and you've got a healthy home and you're allowed to flourish within that context, then you're going to feel secure within that context and you're not going to go looking for anywhere else. So I I realize that it's unique. I realize that I'm blessed, but it's certainly how it's worked in my life. That's awesome. And I think it's great that the sustainability and the the, the long-term relationships, that's, that's encouraging. Yeah, very much so. And it continues to grow and develop. And I think as, you know, he in his 60s is continuing to take risks, raise up leaders, develop himself as a, a leader. And you can see that obviously through the Hillsong movement in terms that we have generations. And so we've got, you know, 60 people in their 70s and 60s and then if, like me in their 50s and then 40s and 30s. And then you see through young and free in the 20s. We have always said, um, I've grown up in a leadership culture, the youth ministry, even when I was involved as a youth leader, uh, the youth ministry in our church is the leadership factory of the church. We've always said that. So we, we just have this whole concept that whatever you're doing, including if you're a stay-at-home mother, you know, I, I guess the bottom line of all this is we, we firmly believe that we are all followers of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus, one of our primary calls is to lead other people to Jesus. Therefore, we all better be good leaders because no matter whether you're a stay-at-home mother homeschooling 10 kids or whether you are a corporate CEO or running an NGO or a ministry, our primary role is to lead people to Jesus. Therefore, you've got to become a good leader. Amen. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to quickly move into the next one because I, I think we – kind of already know the answer based on the answer you just gave. But what do you want your leadership legacy to be? Well, you know, ever since I started, um, I think I can answer this because there's an old tape because I'm as old as the dinosaurs. So, you know, back in the day uh, when I started speaking at youth rallies, when I first took over our uh, denomination's youth movement, it was kind of an evangelistic youth rally thing. The first message I spoke was um, out of uh, Joshua when Caleb said to Joshua, you know, I'm 85 years old. I'm as young now as I was then. Now give me this mountain that's my inheritance. And I remember saying that the purpose and really the legacy of my ministry is not going to be how many young people I'm going to reach now. And that was back when I was in my twenties. Um, but you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, am I still going to be going after my Hebron saying we've got to leave a legacy for the next generation, which means we must continue to create pipelines to raise up and release young people into their God given purpose and potential. Because for me, the, the single saddest scripture in the Bible is Judges chapter 2 verse 10 when it says after Joshua and his generation died another generation arose that did not know the Lord nor the works that he had done for Israel and I think right now we are at a crossroads in uh, church history going if we do not proactively 
evangelistic. I mean, there seems to be an aversion to evangelism. I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm old school. I'm like, we need to win souls. We need uh, to be passionate about ensuring that a generation is not going to arise in this nation that does not know God nor the great works that he has done. And so I am very, very passionate. I want my legacy to be that um, it's the legacy of faith, carrying the baton of faith from one generation to the next. It's not about what I build in my lifetime. It's not about how many people I even reach in my lifetime. It's not about how effective my ministry is in my lifetime. It is, did I pass the baton of faith from my generation to the next? Because Joshua, ultimately, I'm not totally convinced he was totally successful because although he took the land, he possessed the promised land. Um, at the end of the day, another generation arose that did not know the Lord. So I don't believe that I would have done my job in my generation if another generation arises that doesn't know God. So I am more passionate than ever about making sure the baton of faith goes from my generation to the next. And you know what? I've got less time ahead of me than I've got behind me because I'm 51 next uh, month. And so even if I live, you know, as long as I've lived, I, I, I'm still, in terms of effective ministry, I've got less ahead of me than I have behind me. So everything I do is um, in terms of legacy. That's why A21 is across so many countries. Our, it's not Christine Kane. I mean, I love going to places and they go, have you heard of A21? I love the fact that people don't know that I started the thing. I love the fact that there'll be over 500 walks for freedom in 500 cities around the world, which means I could die tomorrow nobody's going to notice, which is awesome. And so that means it, I've done my job. I love that at Propel, we have thousands of chapters in 28 countries around the world. And the fact is already in only two years, um, it is it is self, it, it could just keep going. It, without me, there is uh, vision, infrastructure, mission. Um, it's in the hands of people on the ground. And so I very quickly establish an infrastructure that is not dependent on me. And then I do do what only I can do, which is, you know, uh, help drive vision and mission and help more and more people rally to the cause. Uh, but I certainly don't make it dependent upon me, regardless of how it may look in the social media culture that exists out there. I really don't put that much attention on that or not too much credence on that. Um, I put a whole lot more importance on the system and the structure that we build behind the scenes that can be, that will be sustained when I go. I love that. And uh, that passage in Judges, too, I agree. It is a staggering passage when you think that just one generation before, they were hearing the narrative, the stories, how blood was put on their doorpost and how seas were parted and how the Egyptians, they were able to ask for gold on their way out and, and how they turned that gold into an idol and God still brought the people into the land despite their unfaithfulness. And to think that one generation later, they don't even know the story. It's yes. a, it is a terrifying passage of what happens when we don't we don't develop other people and think about the future. And I think we have to do that because that generation, they grew up in the wilderness. So they they still saw or, and would have heard, um, you know, the River Jordan being pushed back. Jericho was coming down. But if you do not 
place the narrative in a, in a bigger context. And if young people themselves do not encounter God, this is why at my core, I'm an old school revivalist. You must encounter the presence of God to be propelled into the purpose of God. We have a generation that is hungry to do great things for God. But scripture tells us that those that know their God will do great exploits. If you don't know him for yourself um, and you're just trying to do either good works for him. And we, I think we have to be very careful. You know, Habakkuk talks, how do you say it in America? How do you Americans say I like Habakkuk? How you say it. I, I like how you say it. <laughs> okay. I always say the wrong thing. I say Isaiah and Habakkuk and, uh, you know, and, and, I, and then I, they all look at me anyway. So um, the, the fact- pronouncing the CSB. Yeah, I, I, I get made fun of all the time. You, you're, you're talking to the wrong person. All the theology nerds here at Lifeway, they, they yeah. laugh when I, I mispronounce biblical words all the time. So, so. <laughs> well, I, that is me at my best. I just pretend it's my Australian accent, but you know, it's, but I do speak, Greek is my first language. So I love it when I, I cringe when all the Greek scholars say the Greek words and I'm like, oh no, that's not it. But anyway, so um, we, in the midst of all of that, I, I think that we have a, a generation and I love, love, love their passion for wanting to change the world, wanting to be actively engaged in, in society, to be in the world, but not of the world. But we have to understand that unless you know God for yourself. So another generation arose that did not know the Lord and they didn't know the narrative. That's what Judges says. So there's two things. They did not know God nor the works that he had done for Israel. So it's so important that those of us that are older make sure that we're telling the younger ones the works that God has done throughout all of, you know, from from Genesis right through. But then, of course, um, we have to also make sure that they know God for themselves not, and they don't confuse uh, either social justice for God or good works for God or changing the world for God because, you know, Habakkuk talks about uh, a justice that comes from within ourselves and then um, Malachi talks about a justice that originates in God. And so, of course, for me, this is very dear because I lead a large global anti-trafficking organisation. But the reason I still spend so much time teaching the Bible and, you know, speaking um, is because I want young people to know that what drives me is not justice in justice sake because um, or good just for good sake but it's God it's yeah. it's actually what emanates from God and that is what continues to um, to be my fuel and my source and it is the word of God that is my authority and so I just think we've got to make sure some of the things that we think currently, don't matter, matter more than we even realize if another generation is going to arise that knows God and the works that he has done. We've got a generation that's a little bit obsessed with the works without knowing the God. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very, that is very dear to my heart as a leader. Generation. All right. So question four. Slightly um, passionate. I love that. So I do <laughs> okay. think uh, question four is, is how do you keep that? I mean, you know, so, Todd, are you are you correcting my question asking ability? No, I'm 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 setting up your question. Todd, why don't you just go ahead and take over, man? I thought we were going to go back and forth in the questions, but you just you just you're totally rebuked me in front of everybody. You're, you're so I'm I'm, I'm good. I'm trying to be humble and learn from. I'm trying to lead up. All right. So, <laughs> what habits or practices do you focus on to keep that passion that you have? It's so clear, and and I'm learning so much listening to you. And so thanks thanks for the time. What what. What practices do you have in your life that, that continually uh, stir your affections for the Lord, stir your affections for not, not just the purpose, but the presence of God in your life? What, 
what, what practices do you, do you or habits do you focus on? Sure. Well, you know, Eric, it's, um, it's nothing complex and it's, um, it's kept me for, for 31 years. It's that I, uh, I, I desperately love Jesus Christ. He saved me. And so, um, I radically encountered him 31 years ago. He transformed my life. I was dead and he brought me back to life. He, he made me alive and I have just not never lost the wonder of that. And so, um, my daily disciplines, they are not a duty for me. They are a delight and they have kept me on track um, in my love affair with God. Now, it shifts. I travel a lot uh, and Nick and I do. But in the same way that Nick and I, 21 years on in our marriage, you know, our intimacy has only grown, but the way we relate to one another isn't identical every single day. And so my intimacy with God has grown over 31 years, but I don't, I, I am not like I get up at this time, I sit at this table, I have a quiet time for this long because I'm in different time zones so frequently, but I will say that every single day in a meaningful way, and sometimes that's through extended Bible study, it is every day connecting with the word that, that is, you know, almost, I can't remember a time where that hasn't happened. Um, but I, I prioritize me and Jesus, um, very much so. And it's a delight. I, I couldn't function without it. I'm, I'm very much still every day. I feel like Moses, like I, I'm not going, if you're not going there, I'm not going like, you know, I wake up and Jesus, I'm not quite sure where you're going today, but wherever it is, I'm coming with you. And, um, it's just, I have to be connected to him. And so, you know, everything we do in ministry flows out of that relationship. So passion, essentially, you know, enthusiasm, passion, that Greek word, entheos, in God. If you stay in God, God will flow out of you. And so sometimes I think we make it so complex um, and you've just got to do whatever you need to do to keep it fresh, to keep it alive. I mean, I have a, like everybody, I have a very scheduled life. Um, my life is scheduled to every minute of every day for two years out. And uh, I have two children. I have a 15 year old and an 11 year old, um, a, a great marriage. I love being with my husband, hundreds of staff around the world. So ob obviously there is systems and structures and meetings and all the stuff that goes with all of that. But in it, I've got to tell you, I still got a spring in my step, a glint in my eye, this passion to get up and go, man, Jesus, what are we going to do today? You know, I don't have that much longer. However, whether it's 40 years, 50 years or 10 years, I don't have that much longer on this planet. And um, this planet is in a mess and people need Jesus. So what are we going to do today? Who are we going to help today? And so if I'm in his word, if I'm listening to worship, here is the basic for the, you know, the right brain people that need point one, two, three, or they're not going to cope. So <laughs> I, I'm in the word, I listen to worship uh, music. It's, um, I stay very engaged in culture. Obviously I read prolifically across many disciplines this year. I felt I was getting a little bit stale and there is so much shifting sand in culture, um, that I started a master's at Wheaton in evangelism and leadership just because because I, I wanted just to get sharper in my leadership skills. I wanted to, um, uh, you know, evangelism, I would say, is my primary calling. Um, everything that comes out of my life comes out of that. And so just with the way culture is, and I'm 50, I grew up in a different world. I grew up in a, a different cultural world. Uh, and so I thought I need to actually 
really, really get ahead of some of the conversations that are happening and have a, a, a robust answer and theology as to why I believe what I believe. And so that just keeps me stimulated. I've got a cohort, Propel cohort. There's 25 women in that with me. And so I find that really awesome. The fact that I have a global perspective, you know, I, I um, do at least five laps of the globe every year on every continent. So that keeps you um, very relevant. You know, here's the big answer. This might set someone free right now. The, the internet and the small, small, small slither called American Evangelical Christianity that seems to have the loudest voice on the internet is not the entire Christendom. It is not everything that God is doing on the earth. And if you, and especially right now in the women's space, if you limit your life to that, you have a very small God, you have a very, very small Christianity, and you will have a very, very small influence. If you can make your God bigger. Now by that, of course, God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's as big as he ever needs to be. But God becomes big or small in the hearts of God's people and in the in the eyes of your social media life. So if you can actually just turn off some of that social media, get off that internet, tune into God through his word, uh, through uh, praise and worship music, and have a bigger picture of what God is doing on the earth, you will get out of your depression. So many leaders I meet are either depressed or fearful or negative, but, but that's because they have just uh, focused the lens of their Christianity into such a small slither of Christianity if you can make God bigger than just what's happening in one aspect of the church, suddenly you realize the church is growing. People are getting saved. Lives are being healed. People are being restored. Marriages are being reconciled. People are finding purpose. Addictions are being broken. I mean, you could have your own revival meeting um, if you just get your eyes off social media, honestly, as a leader. And you could get full of God again through his word, his spirit, and great testimonies of what God is doing at the in the world at large. That's Let's awesome. close in prayer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to sing a song. The buses will wait. The buses will wait. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So last question. Other than what you've heard on this podcast, what's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given? Wow. That, that was, that was not humility at all there, Todd. That was... I was going to say, I do listen to a lot of podcasts and I do listen to this one every time, just so you know, so I do, but, um, wow. Okay. Probably the best advice, uh, that I heard maybe 30 years ago. And I tell myself at least once a week is remain unoffendable. Hmm. And that's, I I have got, I have got to do better on that. You got to speak that into me. Remain unoffendable. (laughs) Remain unoffendable. I have it written in uh, big, uh, those two words, remain unoffendable um, on top of my desk at home, um, here at the office, because uh, offense will take you out quicker than immorality ever will. Um, Offense will take you out even more than ego will or the temptation to do it for glory or money. Um, Offense, bitterness, unforgiveness, rejection in your heart will destroy you as a leader before any of that other stuff. I mean, you know, we talk about it depending what gender you are, the gold, the glory, the guys, or the gold, the glory, the girls. And that's what normally takes a lot of leaders out. Um, but the thing we never talk about that we should talk about more often is offense 
uh, bitterness, envy, unforgiveness, but offence is what takes more. I've seen more leaders stifled in their leadership development. I've seen some leaders my age, 50 years old, but they their leadership development got stuck at when they were 40 and got offended over something, you know, and something that, that really might have been offence worthy. But as a Christian, we can all be offended, but not one single Christian has the right to remain offended. If we truly believe the scripture and if we truly believe um, in the power of the cross, it is, I think, the most difficult thing for any leader to do. Um, And so it would be certainly my daily. There's a couple of things I pray every day. One, I always pray Isaiah, you know, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I speak this over my life. The older I get, I will run, not grow weary. I will walk and not faint if I, you know, um, if I wait upon the Lord. Um, but the other one is, uh, you know, forgive us our sins, but also, um, I mean, of course the Lord's prayer, but then I very, very much actively, consciously out loud, go through the list of where I was offended that day, the day before and lay them before God and whatever it takes. Um, and to the point that something so major happened in my life six months ago that could have taken me out because of the root of offense. And I haven't been able to shake it. So, you know, I've, I've gone to a counselor and said, you're going to have to help me work through this because it has gotten into my heart in such a deep way. It's going to sabotage my ministry in the future. It will be my Achilles heel if I don't deal with this, because we say the Christian stuff, especially if we're leaders and we're communicators, we've all taught sermons on forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness and, you know, offenses. Um, but I'm telling you, the Bible says that root of bitterness will defile you. It's not going to defile the person that offended you. It's going to defile you. And we have a lot of defiled leaders um, and offended leaders that are causing mass destruction. I think a lot of what we're seeing in the landscape, both in the religious realm and the secular realm out there, a lot of the conversations that are so toxic and angry on social media is because we've got a lot of offended leaders. They're not actually standing up necessarily against injustice. Justice, what's being revealed is the offenses in their own heart and the bitterness <laughs> that have not been dealt with. Yeah, um, so good. <laughs> and uh, what that does is it creates a toxic environment. And what it's sad for is the collateral damage is always the sheep. And so if you're a leader, ultimately we've got to care. Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Don't poison my sheep with your toxic offenses. Feed them. And so you can only, you'll only feed them what's in your heart. So you've got to deal with the stuff in your heart because what's in you will come out of you as a leader. Always. It doesn't matter how many Maxwell books you've read. It doesn't matter how many leadership pipeline courses you go through. It doesn't matter what is in you will come out of you. And most leadership is caught, not taught. So make sure what they're catching is not toxic. Wow. That is so challenging. So good. That is so good. Feed the sheep. Don't poison the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. That's Hold the big one. Issues. That's and that's what happens, I think. And you got to be careful because the older you get, the more tempting it is to. And you don't realize that, you know, um, it doesn't have to be like that. We can have the spirit of Caleb, which is what I pray over my life. I want to go. I'm as strong now as I was then. But uh, that strength, I don't know that it had much to do with physical strength. I think it had everything to do with a pure heart and a wholehearted passion for Jesus. And I want to become that kind of older person. I think we all do. Yes. And with that, um, I think I'll, I'll close this out. Uh, we will put links to uh, A21 and Propel in the show notes as well as um, as a reference to uh, Unashamed the book. 
And just want to thank you once again so much for um, just the, the, the ministry that you and Absolutely. Nick have. And thanks for the wisdom today. This has been very, very encouraging, helpful, challenging for me. I really appreciate the time. Absolutely. We love you guys. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Wait, don't don't go yet. Don't hold up. Okay, so we are doing Pipeline West in the OC. That's right, Southern California. February 22nd and 23rd. So February 22nd is the actual conference day. That's Carrie Newoff, Tom Rayner, Eric Geiger, myself, Daniel M., Albert Tate. These people will all be bringing it for sure. You want to be there, not only because it's going to be great content, but it's February, okay? And this is California. So it's a, the sunny in 76 is good to be at any time of year, but especially in February. Hope to see you there.